Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And the leaders of all the people, all the tribes of Israel, they presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 foot soldiers who drew the sword, who drew the sword. Now the children of Benjamin heard that the children of Israel had gone to Mizpah. So they're, because now Mizpah is in the land of Benjamin. And here the Benjamites are, they're thinking these guys are already in our land and they've come to take care of business. They're angry. They, they, they're, they, these are men of war. everyone, and welcome to our Bible study with Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today, Pastor Rob begins a three-part series on the final two chapters of the Old Testament book of Judges. We begin our study with the nation of Israel beginning to unite in the name of God to resist the depravity as it unfolded in their region. It was a positive sign to see Israel gather for such a reason. This showed that they were willing to deal with the problem of sin in their midst. Today, it seems that the crime at Gibeah would be material for a tabloid news, cable TV, daytime talk shows, and talk radio more than it would be a national call to repentance. Now let's join Pastor Rob. We're going to be finishing the book of Judges tonight, believe it or not, and we're going to look at chapters 20 and 21. And if you recall... The last time we were together, we looked at chapter 19, and it, and it really speaks of a, a really awful time in the life of the Israelites, and we'll be reviewing some of that before we get into chapter 20 to kind of set the stage uh, for what is coming in chapter 20 and 21. But remember, these chapters, specifically Judges chapter 17 through 20, 21, are really chapters sort of like an appendix, sort of like an addendum to the book of Judges. We, the last judge we looked at was Samson, and uh, these chapters that we're looking at right now are not in chronological order. And so, in fact, there's reason to believe that what we're reading tonight and the events surrounding what we're reading tonight actually took place earlier in the time of the Judges, and we'll talk about that and why that is when we get to it. It's really quite simple, but it really just demonstrates the the difficult time that the children of Israel were going through. And how far they had uh, slunk, in a sense, in their morality, in their rebellion. And that's a real warning for us today, because the the common refrain in this book is is this. Let me just read it to you. In in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And we live in a country, I fear, that is in a place like that, in moral decline. And, And so this book really is a very difficult book, certainly for the children of Israel, but it's a reminder to us that, you know, the wages of sin is always death. 
It, it always is. And whenever we rebel, whenever we turn against God, there's only, there's only bad things coming our way if we don't repent, if we don't turn from those things. So hopefully we'll learn from uh, what the children of Israel went through because the Bible does say that these things were written for our nurture, for our teaching, for our admonition. They're, they're written so that we can learn something. And really people haven't changed. The, the, the things that we see in the Bible, as, as good and as ugly as they can be, like certainly like what we're talking about tonight, there's really human beings haven't changed we haven't changed because a human being apart from Christ is a sinner. And uh, history proves that uh, that life that is in rebellion against God is able, it's possible, to just do all kinds of heinous, horrible things apart from Christ. And even in Christ, folks, we have to watch ourselves because we live in very difficult times. So don't be, don't be discouraged. Although tonight... Is, is uh, again, these are the dark times in Israel's history. And I'm really looking forward to getting into the book of Ruth next month, or next week, excuse me, not next month. So um, let's back up just really quick. We're going to read through uh, chapter 19, beginning in verse 22, because this is really setting the stage for why this battle between Israel and, uh, and Benjamin is going to happen. And we looked at this last week in detail, painful detail. Let's read it, uh, just starting in verse 22. It says, as they were enjoying themselves, speaking of these... Um, this this man, this Levite, was going back home, and he and his concubine were uh, going um, from Bethlehem, Judah, back to his home in, in Ephraim. And on his way, he stopped at an inn in the in the area for the tribe of Benjamin. And the men of that city were very cruel. And we'll just read it. It says, as they were enjoying themselves, this man who took them in. Suddenly, certain men of the city, perverted men, surrounded the house. They beat on the door. They spoke to the master of the house, the old man, saying, Bring out the men who came to your house, that we may know them carnally. And as we looked at last week, this is very strikingly similar to Genesis chapter 19. You can cross-reference there. Both of these passages are really ugly to look at. But at verse 23, it says, But the man, the master of the house, he went out to them, and he said to them, No, my brethren. I beg you, do not act so wickedly. Seeing this man has come into my house, do not commit this outrage. Look, here is my virgin daughter and the man's concubine. Let me bring them out now and humble them and do with them as you please. But to this man, do not do such a vile thing. But the men would not heed him. So the man took his concubine and brought her out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night until morning. And when the day began to break, they let her go. Then the woman came as the day was dawning and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was till it was light. And when her master arose in the morning and opened the doors of the house, he went out to go his way, and there was his concubine fallen on the door of the house and her hands on the threshold. And he said to her, Get up and let us be going. But there was no answer. So the man lifted her onto the donkey, and the man got up and went to his place. And so now we're seeing the scene uh, the, the horrible thing that had occurred. And uh, let's go into uh, verse 29 now. It says, So when he entered his house, he took a knife, and he laid hold of his concubine. Now remember, she's already dead at this point. He divided her into twelve pieces, limb by limb, and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. 
And obviously this is going to outrage the other tribes of Israel. And they are going to um, react very, uh, they're going to be very upset about this because nothing like this has ever been done. And as we go through these next two chapters, we're going to see some things that happened that had such an impression on later generations. In fact, things that had happened in this chapter were really reenacted by events that had happened earlier, specifically Genesis 19. And then the time that we're looking at right now, which is toward the beginning of the judges in that time period, fast forward now about a couple hundred years to the time of Saul, king of, the king Saul of the first of uh, Israel, first king of Israel. We're going to see him do a very similar thing where he's going to, he's going to be coming against uh, very soon after he was coronated king, there was a, uh, the Ammonites began a war against uh, Israel, and Saul went out to war, and before he did that, he took an oxen, and he cut it up into 12 pieces, and he sent it to the different tribes of Israel, basically saying, in effect, if you don't come to our aid, then so will be the same for your oxen. In other words, your oxen will be torn to pieces if you don't get with the program and help us, right? And so where did Saul learn that? Certainly he learned it from here. Because he, he remembers Saul was of the, of the town of Gabeah. Saul of Gabeah. This is, this is the town that he was born in. And he was very much aware of this instance, this part of history. In fact, his own people were the ones. His own ancestors were the ones that came against this man and his concubine. Saul was very much aware of the outrage that it caused and how it inflamed the rest of the nation. And so now he's looking back in time and remembers this, and he's thinking, what better way, perhaps, to get my brethren engaged than I'll just do something similar. I'll cut up an ox, send it in 12 pieces to the different tribes, and they'll remember, (laughs) because that that was something they'll never forget. And it was kind of a threat, too, which I don't think was the best thing for him to, do, to have done. But he learned it from somewhere. And there's a lesson in there for all of us. And what is that lesson, in a nutshell, that we should be careful about the things that we say, the things that we do, especially as parents? We need to be very much aware of the things we say, the things we do, the life that we lead. Because there are younger people watching. And they very rarely will listen to what you say, but they'll watch what you do. It's, it's sort of like the hypocrisy of a mother or a father saying to their son or daughter, don't smoke, and here they are smoking a cigarette. But I don't want you to smoke. The greatest testimony would be for the father and mother say, we used to smoke, but we don't, and we encourage you not to because of this, because of this, right? There's a lot more in actions than there are in just words. And so the, the, these things are learned. They learn from their history. And we're going to see that as we go along. But our, our actions, they do have an impact on those coming after us. In verse 30 it says, and, and, and so it was that all who saw it said, No such deed has been done or seen from this day that the children of Israel came up from the land of Egypt until this day. And so they're saying, Consider it and confer and speak up. So now this man is, is, is um, sending out these pieces to them. And they're going to get enraged. And so it obviously begins a, a war in Israel. And let's look at Judges chapter 20, verse 1. It says, So all the children of Israel, they came out from Dan to Beersheba. Now Dan is in the far north, Beersheba is in the very far south. 
So basically the whole nation, they come together, as well as from the land of Gilead. The land of Gilead is that land on the east side of the Jordan River, uh, occupied by the tribes uh, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So they all come together, and they, the congregation, they gather together as one man before the Lord at Mizpah. Now, Mizpah is a town in Benjamin, just north, uh, a little bit n- uh, north and a little bit west of Jerusalem, still in the land of, uh, of Benjamin. It's about four miles northwest of Jerusalem. And the leaders of all the people, all the tribes of Israel, they presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 foot soldiers who drew the sword, who drew the sword. Now the children of Benjamin heard that the children of Israel had gone to Mizpah. So they're, because now Mizpah is in the land of Benjamin. And here the Benjamites are, they're thinking these guys are already in our land and they've come to take care of business. They're angry. They, they're, they're, these are men of war. So then the children of Israel said to the Levite, they said, tell us, how did this wicked deed happen? And so the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered and said, my concubine and I went into Gibeah which belongs to Benjamin, to spend the night. And the men of Gibeah rose against me, surrounded the house at night because of me. They intended to kill me, but instead they ravished my concubine so that she died. So I took hold of my concubine, cut her in pieces, and sent her throughout all the territory of the inheritance of Israel because they committed lewdness and outrage in Israel. I think that would get attention, wouldn't it? It's never been done before. I mean, can you imagine that? I don't even want to go into it anymore. It's so heinous. And yet in our culture, this stuff doesn't even shock us anymore. There was a time in our country where you could read a passage like this and people would blush, you know. But unfortunately, in in our culture, there's so much violence that nothing, very little shocks us anymore. So he said, look, the Levite said to this whole 400,000 men, Look, all of you are children of Israel. Give your advice and counsel here and now. So he's really drawing them to a conclusion. So all the people arose as one man, saying, None of us will go to his tent, nor will any turn back to his house. But now this is the thing that we will do to Gabeah. We will go up against it by lot, which means they'll cast lots and they'll, a certain amount will go against the city to take it. Now remember, Gabeah is in Benjamin. It is the hometown of Saul who wouldn't be born for yet another couple hundred years from the time that we're looking at. So verse 10, we will take 10 men out of every hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel, a hundred out of every thousand and a thousand out of every 10,000 to make provisions for the people that when they come to Gabeah in Benjamin, they may repay all the vileness that they have done in Israel. So really what they're doing is they're taking 10% of this 400,000 men and really uh, that's 400 or 40,000. So 40,000 people are going to prepare uh, prepare food and, 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 and things that these other 360,000 are going to go to battle against Benjamin, specifically Gibeah. So, verse 11, all the men of Israel were gathered against the city, united as one man. And then the tribes of Israel sent men through all the tribes of Benjamin, saying, what is this wickedness that has occurred among you? So now they send they the ambassadors into Benjamin, and they're questioning the men of Benjamin. What has happened? What has happened? And they tell them, verse 13, now therefore deliver up the men, the perverted men who are in Gabeah, that we may put them to death and remove the evil from Israel. But the 
children of Benjamin would not listen to the voice of their brethren, the children of Israel. And they had every right. Because of the things that they did, the law demanded that they be put to death for the things that they did. But this tribe evidently was very proud. And, you know, you think about it as we, as we go along here, how if they would have just delivered the men up, if they would have just taken the, the handful of men that were responsible for this vile act, it would have spared the lives of so many. But that's not really what pride does, does it? Because pride, there's always a big price tag for pride, for holding on to pride and being stubborn and self-willed. There is always a price tag. And we're going to see that price tag not only for the men of Benjamin, but also for the men of Israel. Thousands and thousands and tens of thousands have died because of this one act of rebellion. They could have ended it. It could have been over in a minute. But instead, there's world war, in a sense, among the tribes. There's a, a, a verse in Proverbs, but we know it all very well. It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And Benjamin was in that place. They were very proud. They wouldn't rather give up the men, the perverted men, but instead would go to war. So instead, the children of Benjamin, they gathered together from the cities to Gabeah. So now all the cities of Benjamin, they're going to this specific city in Benjamin to go to battle against the children of Israel. And from their cities at that time, the children of Benjamin numbered 26,000 men who drew the sword besides the inhabitants of this one city of Gabeah who numbered 700 select men. So think about the math here. In, in Benjamin... There are 26,700 men, and then uh, including these 700 men from Gibeah, against 400,000, or more specifically, 360,000. The odds are not in Benjamin's favor, are they? So among all those people, verse 16, were 700 select men, notice, who are left-handed. And everyone, every one of them could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. And so being left-handed was very unusual at this time. You remember when we first started in the book of Judges, one of the judges who delivered Israel from Eglon, the king of Moab, was a man by the name of Ehud. And Ehud was a left-handed man. He was from Benjamin, from the tribe of Benjamin. And he always carried his sword or his dagger on his right thigh. So he would reach in and grab it like this and pull it out with his left hand. Now, I just happen to be a left-handed guy, too. So this, this is kind of hits, hits home. There's a story, but I won't go into it. I, I, I almost, I, I should. No, I won't. So... A left-handed guy. Now, the thing is, there's 700 of these guys. And when they go into battle, they're used to men who draw with their right hand. Who they, they know they're very comfortable battling with somebody who's coming at a sword from this vantage point. Does that make sense? But they're not prepared for somebody who has a sword in the other hand. It throws everything off. Unless you know that your, your, your enemy is a southpaw or whatever they call it. What is it, a northpaw, southpaw? Yeah, southpaw. That, that's what, you know, if you don't know you're the guy you're in the ring with and he's a southpaw and you're expecting all these right jabs, it's going to be over in one round. And so they weren't prepared for this. But Ehud was one of those men. He was a Benjamite, a left-handed man. And he, he, he was able to bring a, a victory for the children of Israel when he slayed uh, Ehud, or I'm sorry, um, Eglon, the king of Moab, 
And the king never saw it coming because he was, and they didn't even check to look for, look for weapons on him because they were out looking on the right side, looking on his right side, thinking they'd find something. But underneath his coat, he had something on his right side, which is very uncommon. So they didn't even look. So they, he goes in pretty much unnoticed and kills King uh, Eglon and secures the victory for Israel. And so becomes a, a judge of Israel. But that was back in the very beginning. So now we have these 700 men from Benjamin. It says in verse 17, Now besides Benjamin, the men of Israel numbered 400,000 men who drew the sword. All of these were men of war. So the men of Israel, verse 18, arose and they went up to the house of God. Now this is a good sign because after all, they haven't been consistent, but the Bible mentions that they did go up. They did go up to the to the tabernacle in Bethel, and they, they inquire of God, and they said, which of us should go up first to battle against the children of Benjamin? And probably through the Urim and Thummim, those two rocks that the high priest would have in his, in his ephod, they probably divined that by that way and, and discerned God's um, uh, choice by that. Uh, the Lord said, Judah first. Judah first. And notice, it's good that they did this. There's, there's a glimmer of hope now that they would seek the Lord in this. Very encouraging. And um, we're going to see them inquiring of the Lord in verse 23 and then in verses 26 through 28. And um, it's interesting, though, that the Lord had Judah go up first. We've seen this before in the scripture. In the very beginning of Judges, you remember, after the death of Joshua, it says in, in verse uh, 1 of chapter 1, that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be first to go up against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. And, and remember, Judah has always been the lawgiver. It's the one that uh, Jesus Christ ultimately would come through. It's the one who David would come through the line of Judah and ultimately Jesus Christ. And so Judah was a leader. And so God uh, used uh, uh, Judah to go first into these battles, into these different things. And you can look at Genesis 49 and just see how Jacob prophesied over his sons, over Judah. And ultimately it prophesies ultimately of Jesus Christ coming into the world through Mary. And um, verse 19, it says, So the children of Israel, they rose in the morning and encamped against Gibeah. And this is an interesting thing. It says, The men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. And the men of Israel put themselves in battle array to fight against them at Gibeah. And um, Gibeah is, uh, again, just a, a little bit north of, of Jerusalem and about halfway between Jerusalem and, and Mizpah. And so... Verse 21, the children of Benjamin, they came out of Gabeah, and on that day they cut down to the ground 22,000 men of the Israelites. I find that crazy, don't you? There's a, an army of at least 360,000 men going against 26,700 men. The odds are so against them. But, you know, sometimes when there's a lot of numbers, people get lazy. They're thinking, oh, we're gonna, the guys in the back are like, and by the time we get up there, it's going to be over with, right? Maybe they were thinking that. I don't really know. But then again, those 700 men from Benjamin are coming out, drawing with their left hand and totally throwing everybody off. I'm sure they put those guys right in the front because they were not expecting that. 
And uh, certainly that probably didn't bode well for them. So the first time, the first day, they lose 22,000 men of the Israelites. And the people, that is the men of Israel, they encouraged themselves. And again, they formed the battle line at the place where they had put themselves in array on the first day. And I love this. The children of Israel, they do. They went up and they wept before the Lord. They're probably saying, how can this happen? These guys are clearly in sin. We're going to take retribution. We're going to do the right thing. Actually, it really wasn't. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Judges. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.